tis the season for some skiing out there, and if you're into it, then you know how much fun it can be. Especially when you get a beautiful day with some fresh powder, just carving down the mountain and looking forward to some apres ski later on back at the lodge. But you have to be careful up there before you decide to strap them up and shred the gnar. You're going to want to heed these stories of warning, and they could save your life up there. Here are five mysterious disappearances of mountain skiers. Number five, Kerry Swenson. Originally from Bozeman, Montana, Carrie Swenson was a driven athlete who focused solely on excelling in her sport. After winning bronze in the first Women's Biathlon World Championships in Chamonix, France in 1984, she then moved to Big Sky, Montana, where she took a job at a guest ranch. The goal wasn't just to make money, but also to have the perfect place to train, and Montana provided all that. The biathlon, if you don't know, is a sport that combines cross-country skiing and rifle shooting. And every day after work, she would train along one of the many mountain trails in the area. On July 15, 1984, while on a training run in the Uluris Lakes area, Swenson, who was just 23 at the time, came across Don Nichols and his son Dan. The two survivalists had long abandoned modern society, opting for a life up in the mountains where they lived off the land. While this may sound adventurous and even admirable, it was a big problem for them up there that the land couldn't give them. See, 53-year-old Don thought it was time for 18-year-old Dan to find a wife. But in their day-to-day activities, there simply weren't any women around. That is, until they came across Carrie. When Swenson failed to return to her job that evening as expected, a search party was immediately organized. For hours, more than a dozen searchers combed the mountainous area. This included the girls' close friends Alan Goldstein and Jim Schwalbe. Everyone searching was scattered around looking, and that's when Goldstein and Schwalbe stumbled onto the Nichols camp. Without hesitation, Swenson who spotted her pals, shouted at the top of her lungs to get their attention. Chaos quickly ensued when, by his father's order, Dan took out his gun and shot their captive to keep her quiet. The two rescuers could hear Swenson writhing in pain and kept on approaching the scene. That's when more gunshots rang out from Mr. Nichols, who intended to drive them away. One of the bullets went straight into Goldstein's face, killing him on the spot. Realizing that they had now murdered someone and had been located, the father and son duo unchained Swenson and fled. Though freed, the woman could hardly move from the gunshot wound, and so the Nichols boys left her behind. Eventually, after 18 hours, Swenson was rescued, but her friend was dead and her abductors had gotten away. But the search never stopped, and five months later in December of 84, the father-son duo were apprehended and then tried separately. The younger Nichols got 10 years in prison while Dad, Don, was sentenced to 85 years. As for Swenson, losing her friend and going through the ordeal was hard, but she kept going. She went back to training after she recovered from her injuries, 
And years later, she joined the international biathlon competition in Oslo, Norway, and managed to finish fourth. Number four, Mark Gijowski. Mark Gijowski was a loyal patron at the Red Mountain Resort in British Columbia, Canada. He spent much of his childhood there, enjoying and familiarizing himself with the resort's 120 ski runs. Over curiosity, got the best of the 34-year-old when he took notice of an off-limit route, which at the time wasn't marked on any trail maps. He saw it several times, and being a master of this mountain at this point, he decided to give it a go on December 30th, 2019. It was supposed to be a quick run for him as he had plans for the rest of the day, but once he started, he soon realized he was in over his head. At 10 in the morning that day, he began his ascent up the huge 6,500-foot-tall mountain. Along the way, he called his mother Cindy and told her of his idea, something Cindy didn't really think twice about since she knew her son's experience. And true to his plan, he diverted from the usual tracks and ducked under a rope-lined barrier. He began his quick descent, passing by pine trees and bushes, dodging cliffs and boulders and cruising through the obstacles. He was having fun, enjoying the challenge. That is, until he realized he had passed his planned exit point to get back onto the trails. Now with nowhere to go but down, he continued on, but noticed that the snow beneath his skis was growing thinner while the vegetation became thicker. Ultimately, he was forced to stop, and when he took a good look around realized he had gone so far off course that he was stuck in a deep ravine. With a dead phone and nighttime rolling in, Mark traversed a creek and continued his way down, but that path led nowhere. He thought going back up the mountain might help, but the fatigue and the fact that he already lost his tracks in the newly falling snow forced him to keep going down. Soaking wet and cold all over, he literally had to lift his leg one at a time in order to move himself forward. Day turned to night, and then another day passed, and he was weak and close to giving up completely. In fact, at one point, he even took off his jacket, laid in the snow, and waited for the cold to freeze over him. But the thought of his family and loved ones empowered him to push further once again. On January 2nd, as he was walking and yelling out for help, he heard a faint voice in the distance. He thought he was just hearing things at first, but the voices were real, and they came from the rescuers who heard his shouts and tracked him down. Yowski was immediately flown by helicopter back to the resort and then to a hospital for treatment. Now fully recovered, the 34-year-old swore he would never veer out from the tracks again. So... If you're up there and you see the ropes, no matter how tempting it may be to cross them, just think of Mark's story. Number three, Seth Boson, Andy Jessen, and Adam Palmer. If you've experienced it yourself or even just watched shows about survival, then you know nature is unforgiving. Even the most experienced outdoors people can suffer major setbacks when Mother Nature decides to strike. And Seth Bosung, Andy Jessen, and Adam Palmer of Eagle, Colorado tragically experienced this. 
Sometime in 2021, Bo Sung, an architect and Eagle County's energy efficiency project manager, invited a group of friends to join him in trekking and skiing down the northern San Juan Mountains in an area locally known as the Nose. Six answered the call. One was Palmer, who worked as the director of the county's sustainable communities program, and the other was Jessen, a founder of the Bonfire Brewing Company. The names of the other four people have been left out of this story for their own privacy. But on February 1st, the seven backcountry skiers began their ascent up the mountain. Considering their combined outdoor experience and how well-versed everyone was of the area, it was supposed to be a fun and challenging trek for the crew. Without any issues, they made it up to the top, but on that afternoon, just as they were about to start their descent, Mother Nature intervened. Out of nowhere, a huge avalanche started, one that was so huge it covered almost half of the mountain's slope and even caused another smaller one on the side between Silverton and Ophir, where the skiers supposedly had been trekking along. They tried to maneuver out of the way, but the huge wave of snow barreling down the mountain caught and carried four of the seven skiers on a northeast slope. It was chaos, and in a panic, the party was able to recover only one of the four people, who were basically buried at least 20 feet down below snow and debris. The survivor incurred some minor injuries, but the other three, Bosung, Jessen, and Palmer, were nowhere to be found. All of them, though, had worn beacon signals. This device basically transmitted a signal every now and then to enable rescuers to locate an avalanche victim. The rest of the party did find the area where the missing trio had supposedly been buried. However, the debris layer was so deep it hindered the recovery operation. Making it worse was the bad weather, which prevented search and rescue operators to use a helicopter. As such, they were forced to wait out for about a day before the operation could continue. On February 3rd, authorities announced that they had finally retrieved the bodies of the deceased. No one can be blamed for this tragedy. It's just one of the many dangers that can happen when we're in it, trying to enjoy the great outdoors. Number 2. Rudy Motor Rudy Motor, an experienced winter mountaineer, left his home in Fort Collins, Colorado to begin his trekking adventure at the world-famous Rocky Mountain National Park. On February 13, 1983, the 27-year-old made his way along the Zimmerman Lake trailhead near Cameron Pass for what was only supposed to be a two- to three-night ski excursion across Thunder Pass and then into the park. But six days went by, and Motor's roommate took notice that the German-born Rudy was still not back home. Without cell phones at the time, his best course of action was to alert the authorities. So... He reported him missing, which in turn prompted local search and rescue teams to head out and try to find him. Being the middle of winter, the search efforts in the area were hindered by more than a foot of fresh snow. So in order to prevent endangering the team completely, the only option was to wait and let the bad weather clear out. As soon as they could, they set out again on a four-day arduous search. The team did manage to locate Rudy's food stash and gear, which were near a snow cave in the northwest corner of the park, 
where they believed he had holed up to weather out the storm. Sadly, though, they still couldn't find Motor himself. Further searches were made that spring and the following summer, but that too had failed to turn up any promising developments. So this case then turned cold, and it was assumed he must have gotten lost somewhere out there in the vast wilderness and unfortunately perished. No one heard from or saw the mountain skier again, and that is until almost 40 years later. In a press release in August of 2020, the National Park Service said that a hiker had reported to their office that they had discovered skeletal remains among avalanche debris near the park's Skeleton Gulch area. Rangers were immediately dispersed to follow on the lead. However, the agency had to call them back in for safety just as quick when their headquarters received an urgent notice of a wildfire threatening the west side of the park. Recovery of the remains got sidelined again, but during the summer of the following year, the investigation resumed. Aside from his remains, operatives also found ski equipment and personal items belonging to Rudy. An attempt to make a match of his dental records failed, prompting local authorities to tap into their German counterparts, who cooperated accordingly. And this time around, they were finally able to identify the remains to be that of Rudy Motor. Number 1. Constantinos Danny Philippidis Constantinos Philippidis had only wanted to retrieve his cell phone from his car, but much to everyone's bewilderment, and even to himself, the trip ended up becoming a cross-country journey that caused a major nationwide manhunt. On February 7th of 2018, Philippidis, who was better known by his nickname Danny, had been spending a winter vacation in Lake Placid, New York, together with his colleagues from the Toronto Fire Service. Their ski trip at Whiteface Mound was drawing to a close when he realized he'd forgotten to bring his phone, which he had left back at the lodge. His plan was simple. Ski down to his car, go get his cell phone, and come back. Around 4 p.m. that day, his companions were getting seriously worried that the 50-year-old fire captain had failed to meet back up with them. They called authorities for help, and what followed was a massive ground search that involved state authorities, plus hundreds of volunteers, not counting family and friends. He was a firehouse captain, after all, and put his life on the line for people his entire career, so it was only fitting that all hands were on deck to try to locate the man. But days went by, and finally on the sixth day, he resurfaced, but on the other side of the country in Sacramento, California, and he had no idea how he got there. Doctors said he may have sustained a head injury that erased his memory, and surmised that his entire misadventure may have begun when he took a wrong turn on the way back to his vehicle. While skiing down to the car, he could have fallen and even been knocked unconscious and sustained a severe concussion. After regaining consciousness, it's believed Danny may have made his way into what he believed to be the main ski lodge, which actually turned out to be a children's ski slope that had been closed at the time. Dazed and confused, the veteran firefighter thought he may have flagged down a truck, hoping that the ride could get him off the mountain. 
Remembering as best he could, Danny said he could still recall feeling sick as he climbed into that truck. Throughout much of the trip, he'd been dealing with crushing headaches and intense body fatigue that hindered him from doing anything besides sleep. Meanwhile, his folks back at the ski resort were scampering to look for him, but to no avail. Philippides continued on his way across the country, but couldn't remember if he had known the trucker or not, and authorities were never able to track that individual down. After a few days on the road, the driver then informed him that they had now reached the end of the line, which was Sacramento. There, Philippides found himself wandering around the city. He did have his credit card with him, but no one was selling him a phone for his lack of identification. It didn't help either that he couldn't remember his wife's phone number. They resorted to checking on the internet, and that's when he found out that he was a missing person. Desperation pushed him to head over to the Sacramento airport where, in some miraculous instance, he was finally able to recall his spouse's phone number. His wife immediately instructed him to call 911, which he did, and that's when he was finally rescued and brought to a hospital where he made a full recovery. So that's going to do it, guys, for today's episode. And clearly, the lesson learned from these stories is always be careful, especially when you let your guard down to have a little winter sport fun. It can be treacherous out there, so be safe. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll see you guys in the next one.